with Fox News Sunday joins me now. Good morning to you. Good to see you, Brandon. All right, so what's the word on the street there in Washington regarding this battle between our governor and the Biden administration? Well, I talked to some Border Patrol folks yesterday. I'm sure you guys do all the time, too. And they said to me they cannot see that there would be a physical confrontation or showdown between them and state law enforcement. They say they have a lot of respect for each other. They're all trying to do the same thing, which is to shut down the mass influx at the border. Now, they did say to me, we both have separate sets of superiors that we've got to listen to, um, and we both understand that. So we're going to try to, to get this done as um, you know calmly as we can. But they understand that sometimes at some point those orders may be in conflict. All right, let's talk about the, the other issue this morning. The United Nations top court issued a ruling this morning that it did not order Israel to stop its offensive in Gaza. But it did express concern about the conflict there, Shannon, that really doesn't show any signs of letting up. Yeah, and there's a lot of international pressure growing on Israel to scale back what they're doing in Gaza. They said that they have been surgical about where they're striking, but there are tens of thousands of civilian deaths, we believe, in Gaza. So there is that growing international pressure. Um, but what they've been accused of in that international court was genocide. And Israel had come forward to say, hey, listen, the Geneva Convention was about genocide in the context of the Holocaust by the Nazis. That is not what we're doing they showed videos some of them very disturbing about what happened on october 7th and said this is what we're fighting back against so the pressure is going to be there for them to make that as confined as possible to the targets they need to hit and the question now becomes also is there any growing daylight between our president and israel's prime minister um, as many more voices in the u.s are trying to pressure israel towards a two-state solution which they say would really essentially wipe them out All right, let's handle this stuff with the uh, the border. All right, <clears throat> let's get into that. Well, we know Israel is just, you know, the Israeli government is just lying. They're just trying to uh, make up propaganda that having a two-state solution is not the way, that they feel they're being threatened. Meanwhile, they're the ones who are the aggressor in this situation. All right. Federal troops, armored vehicles moving in in, pass, in mass to Texas as Biden regime compares to clear out National Guard. Military equipment and federal armored vehicles are being sent by rail to the Texas border as the Biden regime prepares to clear out Texas National Guard troops and state police by force, according to local reports. From the Texas House to former President Donald Trump, Republicans around the country are defending Governor Greg Abbott's right to defend the southern border and his challenges to the Biden administration's unconstitutional border policies. 25 states have co-signed a letter was siding with Governor Abbott in his battle with the federal government, and at least 10 states have sent National Guard and state police to assist the state of Texas in protecting this border and potential conflict with the Biden regime. An update on Twitter, U.S. Civil Defense News reports of military equipment and armored vehicles moving in via rail in Texas. Is the government going to make its move to clear out Texas National Guard troops and state police by force? The battle is not over. It's just the beginning. Hopefully this isn't going to be a, uh, I don't think this will be a bloodbath. Hopefully it won't be. We don't know what will happen. 
okay? But we do know that Americans are tired of this. They are tired of uh, being subjected, okay, to the consequences of Biden's decisions. And this border issue has been going on since the Biden administration, okay? When it's uh, been going on since the Obama administration, okay? Obama has also had issues. People have died, okay, when it came to Obama's uh, border policies, okay? I remember when I was talking to a uh, person I was getting interviewed by, how <clears throat> MS-13 was able to wreak havoc under Obama, all right? And how one person uh, tried to let an immigrant stay at his house, okay? And what happened was the fact that that immigrant just basically butchered his family, all right? People are not willing to look at this through rational lenses, through rational mindset, okay? Understanding that you need to vet, these people need to be vetted. These people need to be um, regulated if they're safe to come by into this country. These people aren't even, um, you know, tested to find out if they have any diseases, Okay. You just let them come through. And that is insane. That is not smart to do. And you put your people in danger. And some people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that this is this is a serious situation right here. That you have to protect the American citizens and people come up with any stupid rationalization to think that this is perfectly okay, that this is perfectly fine. And people are paying the price for it. All right. Israel risks dragging another Arab country into war. Israel plans to recapture the Philadelphia, Philadelphia corridor but experts warned that might be a bad idea. The 14-kilometer border that separates Gaza from Egypt has been used for years by militants to enclave to smuggle weapons, technology, money, and personnel. To stop that from happening, Israel is now mulling the possibility of reoccupying it. <coughs> it's been more than 100 days since Israel kicked off its iron swords operation in Gaza following the bloody attack of October 7th. When more, when more than 1,200 Israelis were brutally murdered at the hands of Hamas militants, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed to punish those responsible for the massacre. The person he should punish is himself, because Netanyahu is the person who is responsible for this. All right. And let's also give him the credit for the fact that, you know, the Israeli government created Hamas with the help of the CIA. All right. <clears throat> Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed to punish those responsible for the massacre. 
which also left more than 5,000 people wounded. He further promised to eliminate the Islamic group that controls Gaza and to demilitarize the enclave that has posed a threat to Israeli security. But more than three months down the line, officials in the West Jerusalem still seem to be scathing, scratching their heads over how to achieve those goals. The main challenge is the continuous flow of arms, technology, and money to Gaza, from which the militants of Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad continue to fire rockets. And Israel believes it's coming from the Sinai Peninsula, smuggled through the border via the so-called Philadelphia route. The term emerged in 1982 following the peace treaty following between Israel and Egypt and the subsequent democration of the border. According to that agreement, both sides deployed troops on their respective sides along the 14-kilometer line, a move that promised stability and security. But several years later, in 1987, during the first Intifada, Palestinians started digging tunnels under the access through which they smuggled food and weapons, as well as militants and money. By 2005, when the Israeli evacuated its 17 settlements from Gaza, and handed over control of the access to the Palestinian Authority, the Islamic group already had hundreds of such tunnels and their numbers continued to grow, especially after Hamas seized power in the enclave in 2007. Initially, Egypt didn't expect, I'm sorry, didn't exert any significant efforts into stopping that smuggling simply because it brought a lot of economic benefits to both sides, said Dr. Eli Carmen, a senior research scholar at the International Institute for Counterterrorism. It was during this time that Hamas boosted its arms arsenal, smuggling in weapons, money, and technologies. It was also then when Iran, when Iranian and Hezbollah experts and technicians arrived in Gaza and taught Hamas engineers on how to develop their own industries. He added. Then in 2011 came the Arab Spring. The long-term ruler of Egypt, Hosseini Mubarak was disposed and the radical elements in Sunni started rearing their heads. Terror attacks have become a regular phenomenon, especially after 2014, when Daesh Islamic State IS took over control over most jihadist groups on the peninsula, establishing the so-called Wiliat Sinai. These groups were against the newly established government of the President Abdel Fattah Asi. They were targeting the army and killing civilians across the country. So Cairo came to realize that there was a cooperation between Hamas and those terrorists, and they decided to break that link, said Carmen. Over the years, Cairo exerted multiple efforts into fighting the threat emanating from Sinai. It boosted its military presence on the peninsula, launched counterterrorism operations, and flooded hundreds of tunnels that linked Gaza to Egypt. But experts in Israel believe not all of the loopholes were eliminated. Even more, they are still being used to smuggle militants, weapons, and potential Israeli hostages. This is why in recent weeks, a number of Israeli politicians, including Netanyahu, have stated that Philadelphia route should be recaptured with Israel establishing full control over the territory. Carmen maintains Israel has no intention of occupying the area. Instead, idea is that this his country would just beef up its military presence in the region to maintain security recapturing the area would be very difficult to execute simply because we have a peace agreement with egypt of course there are right-wing voices who are calling for the occupation of gaza or the building of settlements there but Netanyahu understands the importance of these strategic 
uh, relations with Cairo, and he will not damage those ties, the experts asserted. However, in Egypt, some are still worried. Hani Solomon, an executive director of the Arab Center for Research and Studies, ACRS, in Cairo, says Netanyahu's words were, are backed by actions. These include negotiations with the Americans on the construction of the underground wall of the Egyptian side. The project, which promises to be 100 kilometers deep and 13 kilometers long, will be equipped with sensors and technology enabling digging to be detected and such as deterring radicals from trying their luck. The protection is set to be funded by the U.S., but the possibility of such endeavor taking place depends largely on the will of the Egyptians, says Soliman, and they might not want to rush it. Firstly, on the political and security levels, Egypt will not sign such a protocol, especially at a time when there is lack of clarity on Israeli intentions and when there are concerns about Israeli attempts to pass and impose their displacement, he said, displacement plan, he said. And secondly, let's not forget the Palestinian Authority. It has full rights to object to this project. They can claim that the occupation of the Philadelphia Axis is inconsistent with the also accords and that it infringes on their sovereignty. And there's also public opinion, a recent poll conducted in 16 Arab states by the Arab Center for Research and Policy studies show that 92% of those asked felt solidarity with Palestinians. Of the respondents, 89% refused for their country to normalize relations with Israel, while 36 said their government should sever relations with officials in Jerusalem. That might mean tighter security cooperation between Israel and Egypt on the Philadelphia axis is a mission too tough to implement. It doesn't mean, however, that Israel will not try. At the end of October, the Israeli Defense Forces IDF captured large amounts of ammunition allegedly smuggled from, si from Syria to Sinai and from, the, and, there, and from there to Hamas through the Philadelphia axis. Many of these arms were used by the Hamas militants during their deadly, deadly October 7th attack. And the fear in the West Jerusalem is that the Islamic group would not be limited until the issue of the notorious border is resolved. But Solomon warns that the establishment of Israel presence on the line will, will lead to direct consequences. It will be interpreted as a blatant assault on the peace agreement between the two states. It will risk making Egypt a, part, uh, a party to a dispute over borders. It will destroy the agreements between Cairo and Palestine Liberation Organization, something that will eventually undermine peace. The problem is that the damage might not be limited to diplomacy, argues Solomon. The war in Gaza has displaced more than a million Palestinians from their homes who found refuge in the south of the enclave in Rafah on the border with Egypt. An increased Israeli presence there might create further fear and panic among the masses, something that could push to breach the border forcefully and flood Egypt. President Sisi has already labeled such a scenario as red line for Egypt. He also indicated his country would not hesitate to use force to prevent it from happening. In such an event, Egypt may be required to take military action and increase forces to secure the border. It would lead the conflict to a very dangerous and sensitive phase, and it would increase the chances of a collision and confrontation, warned Solomon. In Israel, Carmen tends to agree with the assessment. He understands the complexity of the issue, but remains optimistic. Right now, there are negotiations between Israel, Egypt, and the U.S. that are aimed at finding the right formula and make sure this, that stability is restored, he says. Uh, well, with Netanyahu at the helm, you cannot trust him. And he may pull 
some tricks and he may just go out and just take it. Okay, the man already said that he is for um he's basically for taking over the Middle East. That's his goal. <coughs> to take over the Middle East. All right. So uh let's check out now about um the UN's involvement, okay, with the October 7th attacks. Let's check that out. Fair use. The United States, Canada, Italy, and Australia have stopped funding for United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinians. This comes after 12 UNRWA employees have been accused of being involved in the 7th of October attack in Israel. The UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees, the UNRWA, said it had sacked several employees accused in Israel of involvement in the 7th of October attack. The Secretary General is horrified by this news and asked Mr. Lazzarini to investigate this matter swiftly and to ensure that any UNRWA employee shown to have participated or abetted in what transpired on October 7th or in any other criminal activity be terminated immediately and referred for potential criminal prosecution. An urgent and comprehensive uh, independent review of UNRWA uh, will be conducted as it has been announced by Philippe Lazzarini, the Commissioner General of UNRWA, back on 17 January. Earlier in a press statement, the State Department spokesperson, Matthew Miller, said that they have temporarily paused additional funding for the UNRWA while they review these allegations. Now, the UNRWA Commissioner General, Philippe Lazzarini, says the Israeli authorities provided the agency with the alleged involvement of several of their employees during the October 7th attacks. Additionally, no further information regarding the accused was revealed, neither the nature of their involvement was disclosed. In response, the Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong suspended funding to the UNRWA on Saturday and said that she was deeply concerned by the allegations against the agency. Canada's International Development Minister Ahmed Hussain had denounced that Ottawa has temporarily paused any additional funding to the UNRWA, while it undertakes a thorough investigation into these allegations. And Italy has also decided to suspend financing of the United Nations Agency. The Foreign Minister Antonio Tagini made the announcement on social media platform X. The U.S. State Department had recently praised the UNRWA's work and the administration of Joe Biden restored funding that was halted during Donald Trump's tenure. In response to the allegations against its employees, U.S. Senate Republicans were critical of Biden's move to fund the agency. The UNRWA was established in 1949 following the first Arab-Israeli war. All right, so let's get into this uh, information right here. Talks more about it. All 
on a minute. Second. Israel was an inside job. The Hamas attack on Israel was an inside job by the globalist elite. Told you. Let's keep going. Working in tandem with the Biden regime and the Israeli government as part of the great master plan for World War III, which has been in the works since the state of Israel was created after World War II. According to an insider, the terrorists were funded and armed by the Biden regime in the build-up to the attack. And Israeli defense and intelligence services agreed to stand down and look the other way when the attack was launched. According to the official, the Israeli false flag will light the fuse to ignite a holy war that will spiral out of control and lay the groundwork for the elite to usher in a one-world government and a one-world religion. David Sling, Israel's newest anti-missile air defense system, successfully shot down its first rocket operationally during a barrage from the Gaza Strip targeting Israeli civilian centers on Wednesday. It supplements the missile defense provided by the Iron Dome, Arrow 2, and Arrow 3. The system was developed by Haifa-based Rafael Advanced Defensive Systems and U.S. defense giant Raytheon Technologies. It became operational in April 2017 and can intercept missiles fired by countries such as Iran and Syria, including large-caliber rockets, short-range ballistic missiles, and other developing threats, the Israel Air Force said. Its projectiles, known as stunners, are two-stage missiles that use multiple sensors. They are launched in a near-vertical orientation from a stationary location that can defend the entire country. No expense was spared installing the latest and greatest military hardware in their skies. And yet we're expected to believe that these high-tech defense systems couldn't protect against motorized paragliders. Israel also upgraded and bolstered their border wall with advanced technologies and sensors, calling it Iron Wall. The Israelis have the most advanced and invasive surveillance system in the world. There are sensors literally everywhere, even deep in the ground so that Palestinians can't build tunnels. The Israelis literally boasted that a cockroach can't get access to the border without the military knowing. We believe that the electronic uh, solution uh, has far more advantages than any physical. Uh, it does detect uh, early long range, uh, the information is gathered from multi-sensors. Now we know that despite their denials, Netanyahu and Israel were aware of the attack before it happened. The Times of Israel, Associated Press and Al Jazeera are reporting that Egypt warned Israel of a major attack coming from Gaza 10 days before the events last weekend. But Israel officials ignored it. Is this another globalist psyop? According to a former Israeli intelligence agent, the Hamas attack does not make any sense and bears all the hallmarks of a planned operation. A year ago, there was a military operation in Gaza to prepare for such events, and ongoingly there are trainings for these kind of scenarios. This raises serious questions for me anyway about Israeli intelligence. What happened? Two years ago, there, were, um, there was a successful deployment of underground barriers with sensors to alert 
exactly on these kind of terrorist breaches. Israel has one of the most advanced and high-tech armies. How come there was zero response to the border and fence breaching? I cannot understand that. Personally, I served in the IDF 25 years ago in the intelligence forces. There's no way, in my view, that Israel did not know of what's coming. A cat moving alongside the fence is triggering all forces. So this? What happened to the strongest army in the world? How come border crossings were wide open? Something is very wrong here. Something is very strange. This chain of events is very unusual and not typical for the Israeli defense system. This surprise attack seems like a planned operation on all fronts. This is a failure to protect the people of Israel, for sure. Perhaps the biggest failure since the Yom Kippur War exactly 50 years ago, if not bigger. By the way, is it a coincidence it's exactly 50 years ago, almost on the day? The Yom Kippur War was on October 6, 1973. If I was a conspiracy theorist, I would say that this feels like the work of the deep state. It feels like the people of Israel and the people of Palestine have been sold once again to the higher powers that be. At the same time, this is still very, very difficult to fathom. She's not wrong. Something is very wrong here. We could start with Joe Biden, handmaiden of the elites, who recently sent billions of dollars to Iran, who directly fund Hamas. Just days ago, Biden sent an irregular payment of $75 million directly to Palestine. And then days later, after the Hamas attack, sent a whopping $8 billion to Israel in emergency military aid. What is Biden up to? And what is the game plan of the global elite? We will explain all that on the other side of this quick break. If this father of George W, both sides of the Second World War. The globalist elite just want to see the world burn, rich while it happens. The useful idiots on mainstream media are determined to call the attacks Israel's 9-11, and they are closer to the truth than they realise. Just like the 9-11 attacks, the attack on Israel is not what it seems. And the you could say it's like 9-11 because 9-11 was also an inside job, okay? People who were there, who are the survivors, they said they heard loud explosions, okay, from the building, all right? People, you know, now it's, you know, okay to talk about it and talk about how that, that plane, those two planes did not <clears throat> uh, send that building crashing down. There was explosives in that building. Okay. It was an excuse to go to the Middle East and uh, abstract resources. And they sacrificed those people on 9-11, just like the Israeli government sacrificed people when that Hamas attack came. Even when they got information from Egypt, Egyptian officials telling that there was an attack coming. And Yao told his, uh, his military officials to stand down. The official narrative surrounding both events can be dismissed out of hand as obvious propaganda. Most concerning of all, every prominent influencer, pundit and politician immediately condemned the attacks, despite their numerous oddities, 
without asking any questions about the numerous security failures of the Israeli military. Fact-checkers employed by the globalist elite, including Bill Gates and George Soros, immediately declared that the attack was not an inside job. They still haven't explained why we are expected to believe anything they say, considering that they're untrained and unqualified, and write their fact-checks from the comfort of their sofas in California, or in some cases while they are lying in bed smoking weed. CNN has already been caught spreading fake news about the attack, retreading old footage from 2021 to spread the globalist war agenda. As I was scrolling on social media last night, something caught my attention, and it was the fact that media offices and media buildings were being targeted in Gaza. And you can clearly see October 7th, there's the date right there. Here's the video footage that came up about this entire media explosion. This looks again like a controlled demolition, which I talked about yesterday, if you wanna to go to my page and see that. But lucky for me, they left the media headline right here. So all I did to fact check this was put this headline into Google, okay? And here it is, how Israel bombed a Gaza media tower. Again, why are we targeting the media towers? That's the part that caught my attention to begin with. But then look over here at the date. The 15th of May of 2021. Why are we reusing footage from an old demolition and saying that it's from this war? Now, maybe this up here could explain something like that, but this is the tower from this news article. So... <laughs> MSNBC wasted no time in reminding Americans of where they stand in the globalist pecking order. According to the elite, 20 Israeli lives are worth 1,000 American lives. Insane, man. Insane what we're going through. And they're going to start. <clears throat> the elites have, have already talked about censoring alternative news media. That means it'll be very hard to get the truth about what's going on. We're slowly but surely, I've said this before, we are going to be a fascist society. That's what's going to happen. That's what's gonna go down. But uh, let's talk about now about uh, Russia claiming that the Ukraine, the Ukrainian military shot down a plane carrying Ukrainian prisoners of war. Fair use. Train of shooting down one of its military planes inside Russia. Now on board that plane, it's believed 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war. What Ukraine is saying about this tonight, and here's ABC's Tom Sufi Burge now. Tonight, the moment a Russian military jet plunges out of the sky, seconds later exploding into a massive fireball. <whistles> Moscow calling it a terrorist act, saying Ukraine shot the plane down and that 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war were on board. Video showing the wreckage in the Russian region of Belgorod, near the Ukrainian border. Witnesses say they saw the plane on fire before it crashed. Ukraine and Russia were due to carry out a prisoner swap today, similar to this one earlier this month. In a statement, Ukraine didn't deny shooting the plane down and said the Kremlin did not request safe passage for Russian planes over Belgorod, which was repeatedly done for prisoner swaps in the past. Ukrainian officials suggesting Russia deliberately compromised the safety of the prisoners in an effort to, quote, destabilize Ukraine and weaken its international support. 
And David, tonight Ukrainian President Zelensky saying Russia is playing with the lives of POWs. Zelensky did not deny Ukraine shot the plane down, but he also could not confirm whether those prisoners were on board. Just pure evil, man. Pure evil. That's what I'll say about that. Pure evil. And war is ugly. And I could say I, Putin is not perfect. He is not perfect. He's far from perfect. You know. And I, I believe he has something to do with that plane being shot down with Pedrogan in it. <clears throat> okay. But Zelensky is saying that he, he doesn't deny that his side shot down that plane of prisoners of his own countrymen <coughs> that he is forced to fight in this war. <clears throat> it's pure evil. Okay. But now let's talk about this uh, oil tanker crew saved after spending 20 hours fighting a fire caused by the Hoopty rebels. Fair use. An oil tanker that was set on fire after being hit by a missile off the coast of Yemen is receiving help from other vessels nearby. These pictures just released by the Indian Navy show the ship with a big black plume of smoke and flames coming from the vessel. Last night's attack in the Gulf of Aden has been claimed by Houthi rebels. There are no reports of any casualties. It is the latest attack on commercial shipping by the Iran-backed group in and around the Red Sea. And it comes just days after the latest round of US-UK airstrikes against the group. The UK government said Britain and its allies reserve the right to respond appropriately to repeated attacks on international ships. Okay. Houthi detect tanker carrying Russian oil product reports. The vessel shipping for trading giant Tragfigura is reported transporting Russian origin naphtha for making plastics and gasoline. Petroleum products tanker operated on behalf of Tragfigura was struck by Houthi's missile in the Gulf of Aden after transiting the Red Sea, several outlets reported on Friday, citing the commodities trade giant, trading giant. According to the marine traffic, the Marshall Islands flagged Marilyn Lawinda was traveling from Greece to Singapore. The vessel caught on fire after the attack. Firefighting equipment on board is being deployed to suppress and control the fire caused in one cargo tank on the starboard side. We remain in contact with the vessel and are monitoring the situation carefully. Military ships in the region on their way to provide assistance, Trafigura stated on its website. A company spokesperson told Bloomberg that the vessel is carrying Russian origin naphtha, a light and oil product 
primarily used to make plastics and petrochemicals. The tanker collected the cargo via a so-called ship-to-ship transfer near Lacanos Bay in southern Greece, according to data from the analytics firm Kepler. Houthi rebels have claimed they carried out the strike on the ship, the Islamist group, which controls a large part of the Ye- of Yemen, has been attacking vessels crossing the vital waterway between the Red Sea and the Suez Canal since the escalation of the Israeli-Palestine conflict. In what it claims to as a show of solidarity with Palestinians amid the attacks, many ships companies have suspended travel in the region. Last month, the U.S.-led coalition deployed a naval task force to the area to safeguard shipping and began striking Houthi targets in Yemen. In addition, the U.S. and U.K. imposed sanctions against the group. The Houthis in return started attacking ships linked with these countries. In an interview with Russian news outlet uh, Investia earlier this month, Houthi spokesman Mohammed al-Bakhati pledged that the group would not attack vessels linked with Russia. As of all other countries, including Russia and China, their shipping in the region is not threatened. Moreover, we are ready to ensure the safety of the passage of their ships in the Red Sea because free navigation in the area is important for our country, he emphasized. Moscow has not yet commented on the latest strike. It has repeatedly called on the Houthis to stop attacks on ships transversing the waterway, but also condemned the U.S. and the U.K. attacks on targets in Yemen, saying these would only escalate hostilities in the region. All right. And the U.S. is not going to listen. Okay, they're not going to listen and try to have uh, some negotiations with these people. It's not going to try to, you know, let's see if we can make a deal here. So that way, um, trading can be done safely. No, they're not going to do that. They want to be prideful and they don't care who suffers. It's basically what's going down here. That's how the U.S. government is. All right. So um, now we're going to go into the uh, the local news a bit. We're going to be talking about uh, um, Cuomo. All right. We're going to talk about that. Okay. Here we go. with the state of New York for a series of reforms aimed at protecting people from sexually hostile work environments. And it found that former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed state employees. CBS 2's Dick Brennan has more. The Justice Department settlement with New York State found that while Governor Andrew Cuomo subjected at least 13 women to a sexually hostile work environment, saying they faced unwelcome non-consensual sexual contact, unwelcome sexual comments, and gender-based nicknames, comments on their physical appearances, or preferential treatment based on physical appearances. The report also said Cuomo's senior staff were aware of his conduct and retaliated against four of the women he harassed. The review largely reiterates the findings of the civil investigation 
by New York Attorney General Tish James. Her office found that Cuomo had sexually harassed 11 women and created a hostile work environment for them. Cuomo resigned a week after the state's report was released. I think that given the circumstances, the best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. But the DOJ report does not give the names of the women or the nature of their complaints, and several people close to Cuomo called it a settlement without an investigation. Cuomo's attorney insisted her client did not sexually harass anyone and that the DOJ investigation was based entirely on the New York State Attorney General's deeply flawed, inaccurate, biased, and misleading report. A Cuomo spokesman said the Justice Department's report isn't worth the paper it's printed. Mm. Okay, 13, 13 women. That's a lot, man. That 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 is a lot. <clears throat> Let's get into the story right here. All right. The Department of Justice has accused former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo for violently sexually assaulting at least 13 young women. According to the New York Attorney General, Latita James, Cuomo criminally broke both state and federal law when he sexually assaulted 13 state employees. Not harassment, assaulted. The Gateway Pundit reports James said Cuomo has harassed current and former state employees and created a hostile work environment and the 165-page report said Cuomo created a toxic work environment rife with fear and intimidation and helped enable harassment to occur and create a hostile work environment. Cuomo was forced out in 2021 after Latita James released her report. The Justice Department on Friday concluded that Cuomo sexually harassed at least 13 women. The U.S. Justice Department concluded former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed more than a dozen state employees, according to a settlement announced Friday that confirmed allegations from the damaging misconduct probe that led to the Democrats' resignation. The settlement between New York and the Justice Department resolves the federal agency's sexual harassment investigation of Cuomo and outlines additional steps the state will take to change how it handles misconduct complaints. Cuomo, once a rising star in the Democratic Party, left office in 2021 after a report by the Attorney General Lita James concluded he sexually harassed at least 11 women. He has denied wrongdoing and argued James' report was driven by politics and intended to force him from office so he could run, so she could run for governor. The Justice Department Investigation found a similar pattern of sexual misconduct by Cuomo and said he subjected at least 13 state employees to a sexually hostile work environment. It said Cuomo's staff failed to adequately report allegations and retaliated against four women who raised complaints. The agency did not release a full report detailing its investigation, but instead published a list of findings. I don't know what it is. I guess Cuomo's real connected. Anybody else would be in jail comes to those types of matters okay so let's talk about uh mayor mike adams the quote-unquote biden of brooklyn let's see what's going on with that okay okay here we go
city has faced its share of issues this past year, but we've seen a number of successes as well. And right now we are joined by the man overseeing it all, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Great to have you with us tonight. We appreciate Thank you. The time. Great to be on. Thank well, you so much. Let's start with a really important issue for families, Mayor. You just announced the city did, becoming the first in the nation to declare social media an environmental toxin. The health department urging parents to keep kids off social media. You said you'd like to see federal and state lawmakers take some action. Do you foresee the city stepping in to do something beyond just a warning? No, so true. And I, I equate this to that old uh, fable, Troy's the Trojan horse. Uh, we close our homes and we believe that our children and families are safe. But little do we know uh, this secret weapon is inside our bedrooms, our kitchens, on the living room sofa. Our children are being fed algorithms that go after their soft spots and their weak spots. And we must uh, stand up to this. I made it clear last year it was something that I focused on and even on the campaign trail. This is harming our children. It's contributing to the level of depression, suicidal thoughts, behaviors like riding on top of our subway trains, stealing cars. It is damaging our young people and we need to be really focused on it. You compared the health hazard of social media to smoking. I know you remember Mayor Bloomberg was the first to ban smoking in bars. Do you think there's something within the city's powers that you might do to combat social media? Well, uh, yes, and uh, uh, Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor, was really forward-thinking. And look how many lives he saved, those who were waiters and waitresses and bartenders who had to inhale secondhand smoke. And that is our moment here uh, as well. Uh, Dr. Fasana, the Commissioner of the De De Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, uh, he has been focusing on these upstream solutions. We are going to look at every avenue available. We're not leaving anything on the table. We want to partner with our state lawmakers as well as the city council members to show the data and have them be our partners on how we fight this issue that's impacting our children and families. Mr. Mayor, your State of the City address was very optimistic. You touted that crime is down, jobs are up. Four months ago, you warned that the migrant crisis would destroy our city. So many have wondered why you didn't provide more concrete plans or details in that State of the City address. Well, I think I've been clear on the impact of the migrant crisis in our city, uh, but I don't want to be just doom and gloom. I want to show the optimism. We've inherited a city that was impacted by COVID. Crime was going in the wrong directions. We couldn't get jobs here in the city. But, and we went and focused on three things, people, public safety, public spaces, and livability for our city. And you see See just the opposite. We have 4.1 million jobs, more private sector jobs in the history of the city. Five of the seven major crime categories are down. Shootings are down. We got a double A bond rating by the bond raiders. Uh, we are seeing a city that's thriving, not just surviving. 62 million tourists. And so I wanted to point out the success of the city while we still have to manage a crisis with 172,000 people were entering our city, not allowed to work, and the taxpayers' dollars have to go to towards that. That is just unfair to New Yorkers. But there's some moments of celebration as well. Mayor, you recently vetoed a police transparency bill, the How Many Stops Act. You laid out why you think it's a burden for taxpayers, for the NYPD. But first off, do you agree with the city's allegation that the number of problematic racially disproportionate stops has gone up and is being underreported right now? Well, no, I don't believe they're being un underreported. And remember, this is why I cut my teeth. Those who have followed me for years, I've been a...
a fighter on behalf of having public safety and justice testified in federal court about the abuse of stop and frisk. We were probably getting a million stops a year. Look at the numbers now and what we're doing with must do. I think we can find a balance. I agree with the city council's concept and spirit of this bill. There's one aspect that I disagree with, and that is what's called level one stops. Those casual, in, not even casual encounters, but those encounters that police officers are doing when they're looking for a missing person. That is not what I believe the city council wanted. And I think if we really look at this closely, uh, we can land this plane and get the public safety and justice we're looking for. Okay. So let's look in this uh, stop and frisk. Okay. All right, let's look at it right here. Okay, here we are. <clears throat> Sorry, real quick. Yep, on. That's what I wanted. Yep, here we are. Eric Adams, uh, sorry. This is how many, this is how, the How Many Stops Act would be disaster for NYPD. All right. So I want to check in, check in real quick. Yeah, got it. Mayor Eric Adams was right to veto the How Many Stops Act, and now the city council must vote to uphold that veto. I can see how many council members did fully understand, didn't fully understand what they were signing onto when they approved this bill. I was an assistant district attorney for 42 years, and I had to read it several times to appreciate this bill's practical impact and harmful effects. The act would require, among other things, that police officers would fill out a form every time they speak to a witness or possible witness to a crime. If the officer approaches someone on the street and asks if he or she saw something in relation to a crime, the officer has to fill out a form. We are not talking about stops in the traditional sense where the police detain a person. Those are already covered by another mandatory police report commonly known as stop and frisk report, which has been around for decades. The new bill requires re reporting when the officer approaches people on the street and asks them questions for any law enforcement or investigative purpose. Yes, a support, as supporters say, it doesn't require a form if the officer just says hello or how are you doing, but pretty much anything else to do with the investigative crime, community policing, conditions in the neighborhood, or fears that people in the community might have to require might have to require a form. Think about it. Every time there's a serious crime in the neighborhood, the police do a canvas knocking on doors and asking people in the street if they saw or heard anything. An officer doing a canvas can talk to dozens of people in just a few hours, but many, but may only get relevant information from one, if any. Under this bill, every interview, productive or not, will require a form. The officer must either stop to fill out the form during his interview or take notes on the race, age, 
gender of the person interviewed, the reason for this particular interview, the circumstances that led to it, whether the encounter was based on the radio run, information from another police officer, witness, or another, and whether summons was issued, force used in arrest to complete the form later. If a patrol car responds to the scene of a shooting and the officer starts asking people on the scene if they saw anything, the officer must fill out a form for every person questioned, even if they don't answer. A police officer saying good morning to a storekeeper would not trigger a report. It's deemed casual conversation. But if the officer knows the store owner's business had been burglarized and asks if he or she has any information about the burglary, the officer has to fill out the form even if the owner has no information. And every subsequent time the officer asks the owner anything related to the burglary requires a form. If the officer greets a mother pushing her baby carriage and asks how she's doing, God forbid, she tells him that her car was stolen because the officer will have to fill out a form. If the officer walks up to a woman walking alone in a dark, deserted street at 2 a.m., he has a credible re reason to approach her safety and ask if she's safe. The officer must fill out a form. Conversations with confidential informants about crimes in the neighborhood, fill out a form. If all these examples, the people being questioned are not being detained in any way, they are free to walk away from the officer at any time and refuse to answer questions. Yet a form is still required. Loss of patrol time. Public advocate Jermaine Williams claimed that the form only takes seconds to fill out is almost laughable. There is not a police department gener generated form on God's green earth that takes seconds to fill out. But let's assume for argument's sake, the form takes one minute to complete. There are about 30,000 unified police officers, detectives, and sergeants who are likely, most likely to interact with the public. It's just half of them fill out of only one form a day, and it takes one minute to complete the form. That is 15,000 minutes or 250 hours of police time wasted each day. If it takes two minutes, 500 hours, three minutes, 750 hours each day. In the recent capture of the serial stabber in Queens, the police interviewed more than a thousand people. Every one of those interviews would result in how many stops forms being filled out in addition to the regular police reports. That's 1,000 forms, 1,000 minutes of police time, or almost 17 hours filling out meaningless form. That's just one. The thing is, like, why even have this in the first place? Why would you have this type of, uh, even try to have this type of act? It doesn't make any sense at all. Just wasting taxpayers' money. All right. But um, let's go into the uh, migrant crisis that is plaguing New York City now. Let's talk about that now. Fair use. Near 3,000 migrants are sleeping in tents in an island park near New York, where people camping in the cold are among the latest temporary inhabitants of Randall's Island. Now, it is New York's largest shelter for asylum seekers that now struggles to make space for incoming immigrants. Many people camping here have used up their allowed time in the city's official shelter system, but have still not been able to get another placement or find their own place. 
Our correspondent Susan Tehrani visited the Randalls Island and she has sent us this report with details on the living conditions there and how the administration plans to deal with this crisis. Listen in. Here on Randalls Island, New York City's largest shelter for asylum seekers is struggling to accommodate the influx of migrants. With over 2,000 people sleeping in heated tents every night, the shelter is now at capacity. Many have been booted for timing out on city residency limits, causing them to set up tents and makeshift camps like the one behind me. And despite city officials' efforts to tear these camps down, migrants continue to set them back up again, causing what can be best described as a game of cat and mouse between the park department and illegal migrants. Meanwhile, New York Mayor Eric Adams says that he's reviewing the security situation at this shelter on Randalls after incidents of fatal stabbings and also open-air panhandling of food, goods, as well as marijuana. The city plans to set up metal detectors as well as security cameras. And despite the fact that New York City is already spending some $25,000 a day on security for these shelters, the conditions continue to be a cause for concerns. This is the thing, man. I, I really can't fathom how you have American citizens who can't get jobs. They're homeless. They have families. They're sleeping out in the cold, and you're worrying about people from across the border. All right? They got diseases, not been vetted, causing problems in subways, committing crimes, okay? Just taking up the little bit of, you know, gigs that people could have. I saw, now, I, I don't have any problem, you know, uh, uh, you know, my heart goes out to single mothers. I, I mean, and this there's this woman, you know, I see on the subway train with her little infant daughter and she's selling candy there. I'm sorry to say, but you're taking away money from young kids who are too, are, are too uh, young to work and that could be their gig. And you're taking away money from those kids. All right. Just that little gig alone, you're taking away money from an American child. All right. You got to send these people back, man. You have to send these people back. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. And I really do believe this migrant crisis, this migrant crisis, is a way to start an economic and racial war. Because people are going to get fed up, and these migrants want their want these jobs. They're entitled, okay? They want food. They're even complaining about the food they get. They don't like the food here. Then they need to go back. Because you're taking away food from people who are born here, who have families, and they need that food. People need shelter, they need clothing, and you're giving it to foreigners. They're setting up shop, they're selling food on the street. In certain states, it's not even regulated. They're just setting up shop and just selling food. And when you try to check them, 
they get violent. <clears throat> this is happening, and I believe it's happening in L.A. And Eric Adams isn't helping. Kathy Holchel definitely ain't helping. She's trying to provide jobs for these people. What about the American citizens who are who are facing unemployment? What about them? Why can't you get them jobs, Miss Kathy Holchel? Why can't you do that? We're in some serious hard times, people. Okay? And blacks are going to get it the worst. Especially those in the projects. Because mark my words, they're going to find a way to get to make you take in these immigrants. And they're going to do it in the suburbs too. They're going to do it in New York State. They're going to find a way to make it very uncomfortable. That's all I got to say for right now. Let me know what you think in the comments. Like, share, comment, and subscribe later. I'm also on Anchor. All right. Feel free to hit the cash app if you feel like you want to. And that's about it. See you later on the next one.